Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. You know, one of the things that people complain about most often nowadays is uh, going to going to gigs and people chattering all the time and that how how distracting they find it. it it's 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 a theme, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely a theme. 50 well, here's I was um, I was listening to a, a wonderful old jazz record. Bill Evans, Bill Evans Trio recorded. It's called Sunday at the Village Vanguard. It was made in. Uh, yeah. It was recorded on June the 25th, 1961, at the Village Vanguard, tiny little jazz club in, in Greenwich Village. And the way this is recorded, it's just a piano and a bass and drums. You know, it's not a noisy record at all. But all the way through it, you can hear the hubbub of people in this quite small club. Um, some of them paying attention, but some of them are probably at the bar at the back and they're, they're just chattering and ordering drinks and so forth. And I think this adds enormously to how attractive a listen it is. You know, the, the, it's really, it's never distracting. It's just kind of part of the music of the experience. And and it struck me thinking about this that actually the artificial quality in in live music nowadays is silence because in most of the long history of, of, of performed music there would have been background noise, wouldn't there? Absolutely. You know? And it's only quite recently this idea that you kind of shush. And you've got to listen really carefully, has kind of come along. And so what that brings with it is a sort of tension. Am I uh, is there anything Absolutely. in this? You know yeah. what I mean? You think, oh I daren't, if my stomach rumbles, people are gonna hear, people are gonna feel it's it's spoiled their experience. Whereas you listen to Bill Evans in you know in June 1961, uh, and it's a small jazz club. It's, I've actually been reading about it. It had a capacity of 123. It was wedge-shaped. <laughs> That's amazing. 
wedge shape so that so that the act were, were at, the, at the point of the wedge and then it went backwards presumably to the bar at the back which is where you'd normally place a bar and these particular shows were recorded on sunday uh and in, in the afternoon shows so i want you to envisage it's a sunny day in new york city in 1961 and you and your significant other have just decided maybe you've gone for a walk in the park you might have popped into macy's or whatever but then you thought let's go to the village vanguard and listen to the bill evans trio play and so you get in there and it's uh, you've come in out the sunlight and you're in the dark. You're, you're bunking <laughs> off from life, aren't you? You really are. You know, you're playing hooky. No lighting. There's a cheeky little everything, drink on the go. Everything responsible. You've possibly had a dry martini. You may even have I had do. two. And and so you know, you can you can feel that sense of people kind of um, you know having having an illicit pleasure in the background noise of that record. And I think it's a hugely important part of what makes it attractive. And I actually asked if, uh, if on Twitter, if people have got other suggestions for other records that are similar, and a few of them came in, actually. Oh, I that, saw that. Uh, yes. In fact, I've been listening to some this morning. Somebody I really mentioned wish- the, Oh, yeah. Somebody mentioned the Joe Henry Reverie album. And that oh, is yes. fantastic. It's just absolutely wonderful. There's a track called Deathbed Version. We should put a link to it actually at the end of this pod, which starts with just a with a barking dog, his neighbour's dog barking, and you can hear footsteps. I think on the ceiling above, you can hear uh, cars, you can hear bird song. It's really interesting. And he he's, when he started, he lives in a very old house, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All the windows. It's called the Garfield House. It's a very historic house in 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 Los Angeles. And uh, and so when he he does loads of his recordings there, I think he recorded Billy Bragg there and all, he did, all these he things did, he, he, he produces. No, he said, so, it's so, so interesting. He said once he entered that field, he said that that uh, he said the songs and recordings significantly diminished without the birds and the dogs and the cars. He said it felt like a film with no score. I thought that was really interesting. Another one that was mentioned uh, uh, was the uh, Alex Chilton's record. Alex Chilton was. Um, uh, recording and there was, I think, there was a power cut. Is at the the knitting factory in New York in 1997. There was a power cut, and they had to carry on. Somebody lent him an acoustic guitar, and it was done all by candlelight. And the record was called Electricity by Candlelight. And that is absolutely amazing because the noise of the audience is so loud that it's almost as if Alex Chilton is the background sound. Yeah, you, know? yeah, you can just yeah. hear the clattering of plates and people laughing. You know, And I find that very, very attractive. There's an amazing version of uh, Every Grain of Sand on by Dylan on the, um, on the bootleg series, which in the middle of which his Alsatian starts barking. And I like those things very much because there's broadly two types of recordings. As you say, there's the kind of clinical, uh, you know, silence in the background studio thing, which is artificial and it's, 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 um, you know, it's edited and there are overdubs and there are retakes. You know. And then there's the idea of live music. And what I find attractive about live albums is you feel it can't be edited because you've got that background noise. You mm. notice there was a jump, you know, and there's something yeah. about the real warmth of that interaction. And you can... You can visualise yourself being there, can't you? You can put yourself into that club watching Bill Evans. Yeah, there's, there's other ones being suggested. Uh, Velvet Underground, live at Ma- Max's Kansas City. 
uh, which is quite quite interesting. I think it was just a cassette recording or something, you know, just something done by somebody in the audience. But many people uh, regard it as their favourite Velvet, Velvet Underground uh, recording because here's the important thing. Those kind of live recordings, they're before they were the legendary Velvet Underground. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah, they're, yeah. they're just a group. You know what I mean? And so the, the fact that the audience are, are sort of not impressed it's kind of part of the deal, you know. There's a kind of there's an equality there which you yeah. don't get later on. Uh, somebody also suggested uh, Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames record a live at the Flamingo, which I'd never really, I can't say I'd ever really heard before, you know. Because the other thing about those kind of uh, little the venues is they're quite small, you know, and so you don't hear a, a roar of the crowd. There aren't that many people in the place, and it's. It's just got a kind of warmth and uh, an approachability oh, yeah. that a lot Lombard of things don't have. tweeted about that, didn't he? He said, I think there's a bit where it says that you can hear a voice saying, don't forget the bar is open for Cokes and hot dogs. Now, that's great. <laughs> that, really, that really makes a difference, doesn't it? I love Absolutely. things like that. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Well, look, we've both seen the, um, the story about Britney Spears uh, uh, reported have got $15 million advance for her memoir. Now, I have to say, I don't think this is preposterous. I know everyone's up in arms about it. It's like, how could that possibly, how could anyone be paying that much? I think you've got to look at what the commercial value of Britney Spears' memoir might be. And let's say, okay, let's say that's, call it £11 million. And in hardback, it's £20 a hardback. And let's say she's on one of those deals where she gets £4 a copy. So she's got to sell 2 million hardbacks. Now, there's millions of other ways that she could be making money. The film rights, which we shall come to, obviously all the paperback, also the promotional value of Britney Spears being involved in it in the first place. You've got to remember, Michelle Obama sold 10 million copies. Now, I think <laughs> Britney Spears, I think Britney Spears' story is piping hot. Can I just say? Can I just say? There's going to be one major dif- difference between Britney Spears' book and Michelle Obama's book, which which is apparently very good. Michelle Obama's book. I'm yeah. not knocking it at all, but I bet it's been most copies are unread, whereas Britney Spears' book will be read oh, cover will be. to cover because she had an extraordinary, unique life story. I mean, Didn't I, you say I, it's incredible. You know, if you look at. If you look at the way it starts, you know, I'm trying to think about the movie. So if you get the the, the memoir and it has the full story, which it will do, then that will be the basis of the film. It will have all the So that's incredibly commercially valuable in itself. I'm trying to imagine it as a film. There's a bit where aged five, she's winning kindergarten graduation contests at school. That makes a great movie. That makes a great book. Don't you think? I could oh, see yeah. that in my mind already. She, she was signed up to the Mickey Mouse Club pretty young, and I think at about 11, she was cast in various productions alongside, and again, this is fantastic, alongside yeah. Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, and Kerry Russell. So that it's just a, it's a whole generation that they've it's been they've fantastic. been bred for this kind of thing. Absolutely, it's incredible. There's the whole story of the success of uh, "Hit Me One More Time" and all that sort of stuff. And the, there's the and the and the, and the and the videos, but then there's also the, the marriages. I mean, one the of those marriages. marriages. I think she's been married twice. I think she's or possibly three times. She's certainly been married twice. The first person she married was her childhood friend, who she married in a Las Vegas wedding cha- chapel. And how long did that? 
uh, marriage last day? Days, I think. Fifty-five hours. There you go. <laughs> Fifty-five hours. So that's the chapter. I know. So that's a chapter in itself. And uh, she married somebody else a bit later in 2004, I think, that married three years. And then, I mean, you got, I mean, obviously, this is a, a really sad aspect of it, the kind of sort of breakdown, really. But the relationship with the parents is absolutely riveting because, as is the case with childhood stars, so often it's a question of what's the balance between being supportive and being exploitative. You know, and she finished up in a situation where her father was controlling all her finances and then that massive court case involving millions of her fans all over the world, which she eventually won. I mean, this is that's an amazing story. Don't you think? I tell you, what, the thing that makes it work, because I actually when I read this 15 million dollars, I thought well, that's got to be exaggerated. And I spoke to my publisher. I said, is it? And he came back to me and said, no, it's not exaggerated at all. That is probably what they've paid, you know, because those are the kind of market values of, of huge celebrity tell-alls. But here's the interesting thing about the Britney Spears story, Mark, yep. is it puts together two formats which are proven successes in the publishing world. One is the story of massive success. And the other is the genre that is known disrespectfully in some corners of the book trade as the boo fucking who memoir. You know what I mean? <laughs> she's got those both of those things going for her, hasn't she? You know, she she's has. got a genuinely tragic, difficult personal story and a genuinely extraordinarily successful professional story. They're both in there. And because she started young, she's still quite young. You know what I mean? She's not going to look like an old lady talking about, you know, something that happened 40 years Absolutely. ago, is she? And the, and, the, and the promotional value of her talking about this book on the international market is absolutely there is staggering. no I mean there is no TV sofa that will not want her will the will not will not be patting the you know come sit by me <laughs> if you don't if you don't if you can't think of anything nice to say about somebody come sit come by sit me, next as, to the, me. <laughs> as they famously said so you know Bruce Spears $15 million for the memoirs. We're saying it's a steal. It's a bargain. It's an absolute <laughs> bargain. It is. I can't believe you got away with it. I know. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. We neglected to mention um, last week, actually, the passing of the great PGA O'Rourke. And... Um, this week, we were both looking at a clip of uh, P.J. O'Rourke, which seemed particularly um, apposite in, in this week of all of all melancholy weeks. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke giving a little lecture in London, I think it was. And he was it was largely about saying, freedom, isn't it? The idea of freedom. Yeah, well, he, he was talking about, he says, the thing that gets my goat is people talking about things but not being fair. He said, <laughs> I've heard this all the time because I've got a 12-year-old daughter. He says he was constantly saying things aren't fair. So it's, it's not, not fair. fair. I have an iPad. I don't like I've all got this food. IPod. Yeah, I, right. I don't like. He I said, hate my parents. He said oh, one day I snapped, and I turned to her, and he said, "Look, honey, <laughs> you're cute. That's not That's fair. Not fair. You're, you know, you're, you're born in America. You're, cle you're clever. That's not fair. Your parents have got some money. That's not fair. You're born in the United States of America." That is really not fair. 
You better get down on your bended yeah, knees and pray, pray. <laughs> that the world never gets fair. Which I thought this is kind of stretching your point, but I thought that I can, you know, the father of a twelve-year-old, you know, I can I can sympathise with that. We've all been there. He's so funny. funny. He once yeah. said on on the on the on the childhood uh, tip. He once said that everybody knows how to raise children except people who have them. Which I thought was really good. <laughs> yeah, and also, so as true. regarding the idea of international freedom, you made that's a brilliant so quote. That's so true. I never so thought of that before. Absolutely. It's brilliant. It's all that backseat driving thing. Another, another thing is about, uh, on, the, on the question of current, very topical question of international freedom. You said giving a mon money and power to government is like giving whiskey and car keys to teenage boys. I thought, that's fantastic. Yes. I know. It's so true. Yes. Yeah, uh, one so... other great quote from her, I thought, was he was talking about, She's talking about that whole idea of intelligence. He says, the C student starts a restaurant. The A student writes restaurant reviews. That's <laughs> <laughs> again really, really spot on. Yeah, all the overqualifications, the people who are less qualified are the ones who are making all the money and doing something genuinely yeah. enterprising. He's fantastic, yeah, I think. Absolutely. We shall miss him. Yeah. We shall miss him. As we shall miss, uh, the passing this week of... Uh, the guy I always say is my was my favourite British singer, Gary Brooker of um, of Brokel Harem fame. I oh, God, I love, I just love the. He's the only person I've ever given an award to. Mark, did you know about this? It's like the Prog Awards. It was. <laughs> I went. To, yeah, I was asked to go to the Prog Magazine Awards and give an give an award to Gary Brooker. So I had to get up and make a short speech about Gary. What Brooker. did you say? I just said it was a fantastic British voice that was um, that was it kind of reminded me of, of great British actors' voices, you know, that Anthony Hopkins or Laurence Olivier or whatever, you know. Yes, so yes, the, yes. There are certain people just through the quality of their voice have a magical quality of authority about them that is not given to other people. Yeah. It's just kind of something in their pipes, you know. And um, and the fact that Gary Brooker's, you know, the, the people talk about why she's shade of pale, which we you know, we should talk about because it's an extraordinary phenomenon. People talk about the song, and all right, fine, the song, and all right, fine, air on the G-string and all that stuff. But... It's Gary Brooker's voice. It's the I, way I totally he's saying I, I think that, that there's something about his voice that, A, it's it's completely untheatrical. Um, yeah. There's no tricks. It's soulful. It's touching. And I think one of the most attractive things about it is there are certain people who you admire as incredible singers, like, um, you know, Katie Lang or Joni Mitchell. Or whatever, but it's very hard to join in with them and sing along with their records. Yeah, that's true. Whereas there are certain people, Carole King being a really good example, and Gary Brooker, I think, being another, whose voices are, you don't feel threatened by them. You feel involved, mm. you know, and uh, uh, and you don't feel overshadowed if you wanted to kind of join in with it. There's something, he never upstages you. And uh, I think he's, I think it's absolutely extraordinary, that voice. Astonishing. And uh, and there is and there's so many wonderful cases. You know, it's not just obviously not just white and shade of pale. You know, it's a salty dog yeah. and you know Grand Hotel. And uh, I was intrigued to read that um, when they were lining up the final episode of The Sopranos, which is the you know that very mysterious ending where they're in the diner and they were trying to decide what piece of music they're going to have at the end and. Uh, 
And Steve Van Zandt's suggestion was The Devil Came from Kansas by Procol Harum, and, which is, if you can hear it, you can you go and listen to it. You can well imagine it being used at the end of, of The Sopranos. Now, he was, he was a remarkable, remarkable British voice and uh, insufficiently recognized as that. Of course, <laughs> again, you know, the, his, his passing means, you know, there's loads and more sort of think pieces about what a shade of pale and so forth. One of which I saw the headline uh, the other day saying, why is a shade of pale? What a song of its era that is. And I thought to myself, because I remember that era, I'm not so sure it was a song of this era. It's just an, an absolute, you know, outlier, that record. It just shows how records, you know, they, they're just strange things. Some They just capture a quality which lives forever, you know. And I was reading, I was just mugging up again on the, um, the story of how that got made. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, we've launched this this new thing down the rabbit hole where we talk about, you know, mm. uh, complicated, complicated rock stories because they are, the interesting ones are complicated. They're not simple at all. And, uh, and more you know, complicated we, than this. It's extraordinary. This, this oh, is extraordinary. Because I remember, was he, he was right. He had the melody. Is that right? The kind of based well, on hold on. It goes, it goes back further than this. Okay. Let, let's start with, so you've got Gary Brooker. Living down, he's down in the South End. He's living, he's a former member of the Paramounts. You know, he's living with his mother in a bungalow in South End. Okay, so this is not what you think of. It's not swinging London at all. It's a bungalow in South End. And he's just playing with, you know, chord progressions and so forth. Keith Reed, meanwhile, is a kind of scene maker um, in London who goes to see Chris Blackwell and says, I write words. And says, do you write tunes? He says, no, I don't write tunes. I just write words. And he's clearly one of these guys like Bernie Taupin. Yeah. He's walking around with arms full of pieces of paper. Yeah. What, what are effectively student poems. You know, this is what Chris Blackwell obviously thinks, this guy's kind of got something, but I can't be asked to work out what it is. And so he says, why are you going to see Guy Stevens? So Guy Stevens, the great kind of scene maker, DJ, yeah. A&R man, Mark the Hoople, all Sue Records, all Chuck Berry, all this kind of stuff. He, he looks at him as well and thinks, this guy's got something I can't be asked to find out what it is. So I introduce him to Eric Clapton and says, well, <laughs> what are you writing lyrics with them? They kind of look at it going, well, no, we've got Pete Brown anyway. He gets he gets shuffled along all the all the time until he eventually gets linked with Gary Brooker. Okay, so what he just you, happened to have written that melody, hadn't he? Just happens to have written the melody through the post. Oh, sorry, the thing I forgot to mention was where did the title come from? Guy Stevens wife, oh, overheard at a party, wasn't it? At a party, said yeah. to, said said to his wife, you know, she was looking a bit peaky. You've turned a whiter shade of pale. Yeah. Keith Reed wrote this down and attached it to his poem that he already had and um, and sent it to Gary Brooker. Gary Brooker kind of works it up, you know, and thinks, oh, this has kind of got something. The next thing they know, they're in a, in a recording studio 
and um, and they make a demo, I think, and uh, and then they make it again properly. And I think the only two members of Brokelahorum who actually played on it were Gary Brooker and Matthew Fisher. Matthew Fisher. Matthew Fisher was the guy who came up with that counter melody at the beginning, didn't he? Yeah. Because Brooker came up with the chord sequence. This is it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And uh, and it was uh, picked up by Tony Hall, the great Tony Hall, you know, DJ, A&R man, scene maker again, uh, who thought, this is amazing. <laughs> and uh, put out on DRAM and became a number one record in the UK. And when they did a, a survey not long ago, uh, in 2009, in fact, it is the most played record on British, British radio ever. I saw that. That's it's bigger than over the know, years. Bohemian Rhapsody or Hey Isn't that amazing? So how much, no wonder it was the big court case, which we won't get into, but no wonder it was the court case because the, the revenues being generated by that every year must have been pretty substantial. In fact, Gary Brooker must would have, have largely so. lived off it, mustn't he, I assume? You must, you must have thought well, so. Deservedly so. But I'm interested that you don't think it's of the time because I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think musically, it's something completely timeless about it. It could have come from any time at all. But that, I think that lyric... Whether he did that deliberately was just a bit of chance, I don't know, but he's managed to capture the essence of that kind of um, the Chaucerian Miller's Tale idea, the Vestal Virgins, the kind of, um, you know, the, the Alice in Wonderland fantasy about the playing cards. That's very psychedelic. That's peak psychedelia, don't you think? Except if you can listen to the radio, he, he did the record does not remotely sound psychedelic. The thing that he used to get likened to, actually, at the time, they used to say, have the band been listening to Proclahara? Oh, right. You know, because yeah. they had a very not dissimilar sound and, you know, yeah. two keyboards, all that kind of thing. And actually, the singer that uh, most, uh, you know, parallels um, Gary Brooker is Levon Hell. Yes. You know, Again, another unshowy voice. 
Yeah. And had that fantastic quality of being able to start something. You know, Virgil Kane is my name and I served on the Danville train. And you're there. Yeah. You know, you're put in a place. Yeah. Carrie Brooker had that same quality. And I think Proclahorum had a very similar quality to the band. They're not like Cream. They're not like, you know, name your own psychedelic group. They didn't sound, they sounded really grounded. And I think you could, could have put out that record any time, you know, in the years since, and it would have made as much sense. But the also, thing what a that, great opening line. Do you think? Oh. We skip the light fandango, turn cartwheels across oh, the floor. You have to keep listening. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're just projected directly into something that you need to explain it. Well, also, the way he wrote it, when he wrote it, he realised that what made it work was it seemed to come back on itself. It seemed to just go round in a circle. Yes. That was part of yeah, the attraction yeah, 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 yeah. Of, of the way he did it. So you play it now, all these years later, and it's no less powerful than it was at the time. Absolutely no less powerful at all. You couldn't improve it no. in any way. Could not be done. And they probably knocked it out, you know. In a, Probably done in four takes and doesn't sound remotely dated, does it? Absolutely extraordinary. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. Okay, we all like to think we think of the ideal way to spend our birthday. Well, our Patreon birthday guest this week made sure he had the absolute perfect way to spend his birthday. Being a Spurs supporter, he went with, with courage in his heart, I would imagine, and, and fear, uh, uh, fear in the pit of his stomach. He went all the way to Leeds. Uh, the sun shone and Spurs won 4-0. What finer birthday present can there possibly be? <laughs> you return be? with a spring in your step. I a did. Spring, I a hat on, the, hat on the side of his head, a spring hat. in his... Oh, Swinging around lampposts, step. clicking his heels... <laughs> Avi Chowdhury, over to you. How was it? How was your it, day out? It was marvellous. In fact, it was a day, I think, that, that between the two of you, you would have approved of, because I went, obviously, to, to Yorkshire, which is which is Absolutely. where you're from, David. Yes. Watched, watched the Spurs uh, win 4-0, which I think both of us made both of us very happy. Absolutely. Uh, and then returned to London and, and met with some friends who I've not seen for a while in the evening. And we spent a, a significant proportion of it talking about the Beatles. Oh, oh well, I'm that's, sorry. That's a dream ticket for me. And the sunshine, the spurs, and the Beatles. Absolutely, that's perfect. So, is your birthday today, or today is the day? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, come on, this couldn't be better. This the, couldn't be better. And the original birthday was a Sunday as well. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's all good. Right. Well, as is traditional, uh, we invite a Patreon birthday boys and girls to fling an item onto the agenda or ask a question or run something up the, up the flagpole. What would you like to, to um, introduce, Avi? OK, well, let me put it into context. Um, many years ago, I went to see a play at the Royal Court Theatre. And we got the, um, the, the the sort of announcement that one of the actors was indisposed and his part would be played by an understudy. Right. And the understudy was absolutely fantastic. And I said to my companion, um, that guy is, you know, he was great. He, he's one to watch. And uh, it was Gary Oldman. There you go. That's good. There you go. So my question is, have you... Either of you and your long experience of listening and, and going to watch um, musical artists, 
seeing someone who you thought from the very start was going to going to be be immense, going to be massive, oh uh, and God. were proved right. God. Oh, that's a tricky one. So they'd have to have been a kind of just a member of a band who went on to be something extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. I saw, well, I'll tell you what, I saw, um, I, okay, this is going way back. And I think it was Bankage Tour in probably 1965 or six, uh, headlined by Man from Man, I think. Yes. And down the bill were a band um, led by a school teacher from Birmingham who introduced the lead singer who was, I think, 15 years old at the time, and said, this is little Stevie Winwood." <laughs> that's great. You know, that's great. And uh, he, he, he was 15, you know, and they called him little Stevie Winwood. It's kind of, uh, you know, it was a play on little Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder you know, yeah. It was a yeah, child, yeah. child prodigy kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And he sang Georgia on my mind, and you thought, oh, my God, <laughs> that's... That's something quite remarkable, you know. So uh, that that's the, that's the one that immediately springs to mind with me. But they, um, you know, it's quite interesting with with kind of understudy actors. You know, they're you know people are traditionally disappointed when they turn up at the theatre and they get a piece of paper in there yeah, slotted right. into their program, saying the part of Laurence Olivier will be taken by Fred <laughs> Newark or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Fred Nook's probably really damn good, actually. Yeah. Uh, the interesting pop fact about uh, uh, Gary Oldman is that he was born on virtually the same day in virtually the same year as Gary Newman. There you go. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's very yeah, I think there's about, about a week apart or something. That, that is peculiar, that's isn't it? That's top quality <laughs> stuff, that is. I don't know why I know that, I just do. Was, was Gary like, Newman born Gary Newman? or was or No, he's called Gary he's Webb. Webb. Gary, Gary Webb, Webb, which is, of course, just like Harry, Harry Webb. Webb. Harry Webb. Yeah. Cliff Richard, Richard you know. Yeah. So, uh, so that's something. You had another question, did you say you had another one? I did, and it's uh, this is one that I, I suspect the word massive may be interested to know the answer to. Um, I, I noticed that Word in Your Park is, or Word in the Park, is is on the 18th of June. That's is it 18th, yeah. I think it is, yeah. Go which on. happens to be Paul McCartney's 80th birthday. Oh, God. oh my lord! That wasn't deliberate, actually. Oh right, well that was. That <laughs> Are was you the thinking that there was a connection? Is that, is that the rumor? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so there's nothing he'd rather. He's been sitting there for God knows how many years, thinking what I really dream of on my 80th birthday. <laughs> in the, in the Hepworth so Ellen interview, wouldn't that be great? God, uh, he's, he's, he, Paul McCartney really going to be 80 this Yeah, summer. it struck me that because My there was a big God. thing in the papers yesterday about Glastonbury and saying, uh, you know, how he's the headlining act on the Saturday night. Or something. I was thinking he would be, he's going to be 80 by then, by Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is, uh, is that confirmed? So he is going to be. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I, I, I just wondered if there'd ever been an older, an older headlining act. I mean, there's been lots of. Johnny Cash's and people not like, a glass. Again, they weren't eighty actually. <laughs> no, I think not a glass. Although, although fantastic. Although to be fair, that that kind of you know when I wrote my nineteen seventy one book, uh, no, when I wrote the book after it, so it's like two thousand and seventeen, which is about the rock, the decline and fall of the rock star. Oh yeah. I I think I think I'm right in saying that Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, Fats Domino, and Chuck Berry were all still alive. At that stage, 
So they're all well into their 80s. And yeah. Jerry Lewis is still with us. Um, he is. And living in Ireland, I think, isn't he? Is he? Oh, good God. Wow, oh, dear. that's interesting. Oh, <laughs> too close. Oh, too close for comfort. Shiver, shiver down my <laughs> <Yeah>. spine. <laughs> well, yeah, we can neither confirm nor deny that Paul McCartney is going to be the special guest at our uh, at our Word in the Park on, on oh. June the 18th. But, you know, if you thought that was the case, you would be remiss in not making sure that you, you reserved a ticket <laughs> as soon as possible. Indeed so. Hey, uh, Avi, what are you doing? What are you doing for the rest of the day? Uh, my wife has uh, has booked um, a, a table at a, a local gastro pub, so we're going up there and, and meeting some friends uh, for, for for a convivial afternoon. I hope. What fun with these yeah, blue sky, brilliant. cloudless skies here! It is absolutely, absolutely lovely. Yeah. Absolutely oh, lovely. Yeah. Have a lovely day and a very happy birthday, and we'll see you soon. The Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. Okay, any other business where we're joined by Alex Gold, who's, is he in heaven or is he in Miami? You're in Miami, aren't you, Alex? I am indeed, I'm the Miami correspondent. And, okay, uh, and we can hear the ships, uh, the ships kind of intercom, sort of uh, the, uh, you, is that right in the ship, Is it like a truck? Is it, does it have a reversing light on your ocean liner? So, you know, <laughs> liner funny, coming actually. back, coming we were, back, coming we were, back. We were, we were in Nassau in the Bahamas yesterday, as 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 one does. Just and, um, just say that sentence again. Clang. Um, Go on. We were, Go on we were, again. We were in Nassau in the Bahamas yesterday, and um, we were reversing out of um, sort of Cruise Alley. And I was thinking actually about a, a big old beeping that should be present but isn't. But uh, amazing driving skills. Honestly, we did some something that resembled a three point turn and then zipped back out <laughs> into the ocean. So yes, you probably absolutely. know this. How long does it take for a, a, a an ocean cruiser, a liner, moving at at at, at, at top speed, to stop? Because isn't it meant Ooh, to be something gosh. like a mile? Or something? It if will be. Bad if you time. put your full yeah, reverse on, you, can't. you know, you see a kind of whale ahead or something. I mean, I don't know. I think it's meant we, to be about a mile. It takes. Well, actually, speaking uh, of whales, uh, I regularly feel a a a, a, a big thunk. Oh. And um, apparently that that is when I mean it can't be anything else. I've I've, I've gone over this. I've gone I've, in my head. I've gone through submarines and you know sea monsters. Oh, the God, only thing it could possibly be is a well. Um, <laughs> which is, but, but apparently that's because the ships don't have sonar, and so the whales can't detect them. Um, so, um, but then if they did have crazy. sonar, the whales would probably be disorientated or something worse yeah, yeah, would happen. Exactly. So you can't win, can you? The thing oh, that's right. is, is go on, go on. So um, yes, uh, time for reader correspondence. I've got, I've got a. I was, oh, well, you got, you got Paul on Burke's it. one. Uh, I don't. Okay, I've got. First of all, I just talk <laughs> about Branwell Johnson. We were talking about horse lips the other week, and uh, he, he has a, ma- a mate who's a big fan of horse lips, who recently discovered that founder member Charles O'Connor, founder member of Horse Lips, was running a guest house near Whitby. And so he was such a devoted uh, uh, Horse Lips fan that he actually booked himself in last year in the hope of meeting the host. But despite seeing O'Connor a number of times over the course of his stay, 
his friend was too tongue-tied to engage in conversation and bring up the band. That seems absurd because, A, that's the reason he went to stay there. And B, yes. there would be nothing more that an ex-member of Horselips would like to discuss, surely, than the great days of Horselips. They'd be absolutely pull down the pewter tankards and get stuck in. Oh. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a uh, shyness of above and beyond the call of duty, that is. So, yes, we were um, was it? Owen Paul Parker. Burke. Yeah, go on. Oh, it's Owen just Parker. so funny. That's Owen a... Parker did this wonderful thing about uh, about playing the wrong Rolling Stones song at a funeral. It's just a fantastic story. But, under yes. my thumb. <laughs> no, it's at a wedding. At a wedding. It's sorry, at a wedding. Thumb. I'm talking about yeah, the wedding. It's worse. It was the reception. That was the, it, was the, it was the moment his, his wife came on, wasn't it, to the, to the dance floor or whatever. Uh, Paul Burke said this uh, fantastic thing about another funeral thing. He said, uh, uh, my father, Terry, Terry Phipps, former parish priest at St. James Marilyn, uh, said was officiating. And uh, the track they wanted played was track one on Queen's greatest hit, uh, which causes Bohemian Rhapsody. And he said, to, he said to accompany the coffin on its final journey, but whoever is supposed to press stop <laughs> at the end didn't press stop because uh, track two uh, kicked into life and it was another one bites the dust. There you That's go. That's fantastic, isn't it? There you go. So I was reading a thing this week, and I want to ask Alex about this. Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead was saying that when he first joined very early Radiohead, when they called something slightly different, he was um, not confident at all about his keyboard playing, but he wants to be in the group. So he turned himself off and said, so they did months of rehearsals with him broadly being approved of. And uh, Tom York kept saying to him, I think you're really adding something to the quality of the sound. But only Johnny Greenwood knew that he'd turned off his keyboard totally. So he wasn't contributing at all. And I wondered if you, as a, as a professional musician, had ever found yourself in the same situation. When I, when I left school to, to go and work in mines, I went, I went back to visit this one time. <laughs> And uh, they said, oh, Alex, we've uh, went to my music department. I said, Alex, we've, we've just formed a wind band and we're looking for a bass player. I went, you know, that's, that's nice. I went, we're going to play in Paris and there's a trip to Euro Disney in it. I went, I'll, I'll, I'll step in. So, um, so I found myself in my old school's wind band and being, you know, um, in my late teens, when they gave me the sheet music, and, you know, and purely indie, when they gave me the sheet music, I didn't bother to learn it. And... Uh, I kind of wanted to go into Space Mountain at Euro Disney. That was it, really. That was all I was interested in, and um, which actually was really disappointing. It was a rubbish roller coaster. But um, so we got to Paris, and it was this gig some in, in a hotel somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it was. But anyway, so I hadn't learned music, and I was surrounded by all these wooden instruments, and I just turned myself down and skipped across the fretboard like a gazelle to the African savanna. <laughs> it looked amazing. But I was playing absolutely nothing, and nobody noticed. To this day, I'm the only part. Up until this point, I've been the only person who knew about that. So uh, there we go. It can be done. Okay, um, it can be done. So long not being detected, though, because he was, he was I know, right? for a while, wasn't it? And, and that Tom York kept saying, "You're really adding wonderful textures." You know, it's <laughs> something a bit of spinal tap about that, no, isn't no, it? No. It's very plain, Johnny. It's wonderful. You know exactly what to leave out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. everything. It's all about the spaces. It's all about the gaps. I was also taken by uh, by a communication we had via Patreon with Ian McKenzie, who said we were talking about D Dave Clark, which was a subject of our 
down the one of our down the rabbit hole uh, podcasts, which are only available to Patreon listeners. So you know, I'm sorry if you're not one of them. Yeah. Uh, why don't you, why not do something to remedy that situation as soon as possible by going to Patreon.com/slash Word in Your Ear and finding out how you might contribute. Anyway, Ian had heard the Dave Clark down the rabbit hole, and he said that he actually met Dave Clark. While he was walking here recently, last summer, he said, while he was walking his dog, and I was playing the guitar in Little Venice. And he sat down and asked me if I had played for a long time and then said I was good. I had no idea who he was, but asked if he played anything. He said he used to play the drums, but didn't anymore because he'd hurt his hands while skiing. I didn't recognize him, but I had a sense he wasn't telling everything. I asked him if he ever played in any bands, and he said, I'm Dave Clark. There was no arrogance, but it was clear that he expected me to know what he meant, which I thought was a really, really good point, actually. Because if you're Dave Clark, there's only one Dave Clark, isn't there's there? There's only one really? Dave Clark, and the name is in the title, so it's perfect. It is, really. I was a member of Rare Bird, and you go, well, yeah, I'm not going to find it. Yeah, I'm you're Dave kind Clark. of more famous, more famous than being I'm a member of Man or something, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You can, Yeah, it, I'm Dave Clark. Anyway, he was... Uh, he, he was apparently he, he was apparently very nice and very complimentary to Ian's uh, guitar story. playing. So I don't know if Ian I don't know if Ian was in a busking capacity in Little Venice or he just simply felt moved to share his music with the world. So maybe he'll get in touch with us and let us know. Uh, anything else we want to add? Uh, any other business? What have we recorded recently? We recorded um, a, a chat. Uh, with Jane uh, Savage, are these out? I can't remember now. This is the one no, yes, no. Savage. Alexis Petridis is imminent. Um, oh, Alexis Petridis is very, very good. It's is absolutely John fabulous. I can't remember. It is John Ronson's is not up yet either. No, no, no yeah, that's, that's, that's terrific. They're both terrific. Oh, so it's all it's all in waiting, and it's all even more reason why you might want to be a Patreon supporter because you get this stuff first and you get it in full glowing color where applicable. So we're uh, coming up on the runway, ready to be launched. We've got Alexis Petridis. Yes, Alex? Indeed. Uh, We've got John Ronson, which we've done. We've done Michael Han talking about his book, Denison Leather. Dennis and Leather. Denim and leather. Uh, and we got Jane Savage talking about uh, the art of PR and all kinds of things like that. So there's a ton of stuff coming. So, you know, if you want to get to it and get to it first, patreon.com slash word in your ear. And we have further we got to add. Go on. Well, we, we have a, what is a, a joyfulness of, no, of new patrons. All um, oh, right. Oh, okay. go on. Which is the official collective noun for, for All right, a, okay. a group I'm of I'll like, get, get my boson's whistle out. Excellent. Hi, okay, okay. I, I should mention, actually, we have Matthew North to thank for uh, the boson's whistle being audible. Um, he, he's a, he's a supporter. It, it is audible. Um there we are. Matthew's a patron supporter, and he works for the BBC, and he kindly emailed us uh, to let us know how to how to adjust our settings to make it audible. They, so they probably do a course at the BBC, you know, <laughs> one day and learning how to record bosun's whistle. Is so <laughs> yeah. popular, yeah. Go on. Okie doke. Um, Jason Brooks. Excellent. <laughs> it sort of works, and then disappears. Evan Lazarus. 
Hurrah, Evan. Great name. Welcome aboard. Yeah, that's a great name, it is. Evan Lazarus on bass guitar. Paul Wally. Paul Wally, excellent. Well done. Thank you very much. Gary Ashwell. Splendid. Welcome aboard, Gary. Mark Critch. This is tremendous. Keep them coming. And, and Jacqueline Langdon Jones. Jacqueline, wonderful to have you. Very good. You're all very hugely good. welcome. And we're very welcome, grateful. one. Welcome all. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.